0: Dave's Psych Lectures, part of the Thunderbird Six podcasting. Okay, um, I just finished today
1: talking
0: about uh, some of this neural learning stuff, and talking about long-term. Sorry, talking about. uh, Simpler tasks like habituation. Spend a lot of time talking about that. Um, to get to more complicated stuff, it's going to be probably hippocampally driven. And that, uh, an interesting phenomenon in hippocampus is long term potentiation. Um, long term potentiation just says that when the uh, uh, neural, neural circuit gets fired, it, 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 it uh, fires more quickly the next time it's fired. Okay? Um, and as this happens in hippocampus, and hippocampus seems to be important in learning and memory. People started thinking this might have something to do with learning, but maybe how learning works at the neural level. Um, there's a neuromodulator, which is kind of like a neurotransmitter. What a neuromodulator does is it makes neurotra- It changes the a- actions of neurotransmitters. That's, that's all a neuromodulator does, it changes the action of neurotransmitter. There are receptors for them, the whole thing, so it's, it's exactly like what you expect except it actually doesn't cause firing directly like a neurotransmitter does, or stop firing. It does it by affecting other processes, other neurotransmitters. So, NMDA is a neuromodulator that allows LTP to happen. Okay? And if you block NMDA, you block LTP. You can block NMDA really simply. There's just NMDA antagonists that you... Uh, directly uh, injecting the hippocampus of a rat into a cannula, planted right into his hippocampus, put it right in there, and then he's not going to show long-term potentiation. So what you want to do now is see if this affects learning. And a lot of this work was done originally using something called a Morris water maze. And a Morris water maze isn't actually a maze; uh, it's a pool, and it's about this big around, okay maybe bigger even, maybe a meter or more in diameter. Um, And it's about that deep, so maybe 10 centimeters deep, and you fill it with an opaque liquid. Uh, Very often skin milk actually. Um, And you put rats in it, just one at a time, you don't pour rats into it, and you make a delicious rat soup. So you put a rat in it, and rats, they can swim, they just don't like it very much. It's kind of like cats. If you throw a cat in the river, and I'm not saying you should do that, but if you did, it's not going to like it much, but it can swim. It's like a dog. Dogs, are like, Ooh, Dogs have a thing that have happen. Do. Dog paddle. You never hear about rat paddle. You never hear about cat paddle. It's more like, oh, I hate swimming. <laughs> so rats, they can swim. They just don't like it very much. So you have a little platform. Why are you using skim milk? something opaque, because right below the surface is a little platform. And he gets he finds he bumps into it, he gets up on it, and he looks over, he goes, you son of a... And you take them out and you clean them off, and that's why you use skim milk, instead of regular milk, because if you use regular milk, it would be all sour, it's not like, all the fat, and you know the good stuff that's in milk, that they suck out of skim milk, and they make a bluish-gray liquid that's not even really food. You may as well just grind up chalk and mix it in water and drink it. You know, just live a little. Have regular milk. Unless you're lactose intolerant. Then drink soy juice or almond juice. They aren't milk, they're juice. Anyway. Rats learn this task pretty quickly because they're pretty motivated because they don't like swimming. And what you do in the room is you have all kinds of cues in the room. It's like in my talk I was practicing. You might have all kinds of different cues in the room, <coughs> like things on the like colors of the wall, or patterns, I guess, rats are colorblind. they are be good at this pretty quickly. So once they've done this, and they do this using, it's a hippocampal mediated thing. You, you lesion hippocampus, they can't this. If you lesion, sorry, if you block LTP, they can't Well, if it's the case you block LTP and they can't learn to find the little platform, maybe LTP is the neural basis of learning. And then maybe my friend Deb Saussier would say no. Because Deb did an experiment where instead of blocking LTP while they're learning, she first... Or blocking LTV after they've learned, like, what you can do is also teach them the task and then move the platform. They can never learn when you block LTV you move the platform. What Deb did is she gave them pre-training. She basically got them used to the idea that she was going to put them in a giant pool that they didn't like. Swimming training. Put them in the thing. And if after that she blocked LTV, they learned it just fine. Oh, well, that's not good. It's not good at all. Huh. So it isn't the only thing in learning. Is it important in learning? Yes. But it's not the only thing in learning. Now, this might, you might say to yourself, um, well, maybe that's because our experiment was poorly done. No, it's a series of experiments that eventually did get published in a meaningless little journal called Nature. So it's not like it was a piece of crap. It's basically, she had trouble getting it published because everything else said it should work this way. But it did eventually get out, which is good. So LTP, is it important in learning? Yes. Is it the only thing in learning? No. Which is a shame because it's a nice story. Um, When we think think about hippocampus, we think about spatial things, and I think about food storing birds because that's just what I think about. Because without them, I wouldn't be standing here. Um... This is kind of a cool piece of data here from Barney and Noddebom in 1994. Noddebom is notable for Andrew Noddebom for doing some really cool work with songbirds. And he's found, in fact, that there's a part of uh, the bird brain in males that grows in the spring and shrinks in the fall, and that's the part that controls singing. And I think it's called the HVC. Hyperstratum Ventrale carcinum ventralis. Um, Ow. I just twisted my ankle somehow. First day with the new feet. Um, So this part of the brain shrinks in the winter and grows in the spring when they sing. Cool. So what they thought was, well, chickadees store food. They rely on hippocampus to find the food. Maybe Maybe chickadee hippocampus shrinks in the summer and grows in the fall. And that's, as you can see here, what they found. They wild caught a whole bunch of birds different times, uh, kill them, and look at their hippocampus. And this was all pretty exciting. And those of us that were doing this kind of work back in the early 90s were like, and this was all this was actually written up because it's about neurogenesis. This was actually <laughs> written up in the Globe and Mail, in the science page. And we're all like, you know, we're here actually in Toronto with the Global Males base, and we've been doing this work on chickadee memory, oh, you know, for 10 years, and no one ever comes and sees us. <laughs> so
1: we were a there.
0: Bit... Well, not really. Um, note the word seems to. Never been replicated. Too bad, because it's a good idea. And I think it probably happens, actually. Uh, but no one's been able to replicate this. I know that in, in our lab, they tried... Uh, changing, like getting birds, and changing the day, like dark cycle, uh, changing the temperature, all kinds of things that make it seem like it was winter that didn't affect hippocampal volume, allowing them to store food and not store food in their cages. Didn't seem to affect anything. But I'm not saying this is nothing. I'm saying that, you know, uh, it's not replicated is all I can say. So some conclusions about Learning and memory and synapses, neurotransmitter. Um, much of the interesting activity in the nervous system happens at the synapse, right? Fact, I mean, yes, I know there's all kinds of cool things about action potentials and membranes and all that, but you know, the really cool stuff's happening at the synapse. If you think about the psychological perception, because that's where changes are happening. Um, and this, it's kind of cool too because that's where the electrical gets chemical so we have that sort of transition state there um, this is also where learning may be happening and one of the sort of what's the word I'm looking for uh, holy grails of psychology and neuroscience is trying to explain how learning works at the neural level because if, once we understand those things you know the, the, the first person that actually nails that down is going to probably win a Nobel Prize and we're getting closer all the time, and it's probably where it's happening, So I think it's pretty interesting that way. So like I said, that's where learning may be happening, and that's psychological, which is what makes it interesting. There's still, however, a lot to learn about this. There's a whole bunch of... Uh, and there's more and more all the time. And that's what makes the area uh, exciting and uh, cool. All right. Uh, questions on this? Before we move on to drugs and hormones? So the synapse would be the gap. Nothing, nobody. Okay. Athens is in Greece. Greek, gap, yeah, synapse. I shouldn't have to spell these things out for you. Maybe they aren't funny, but I reject that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I reject that
0: energy. All right. up. Uh, All right, Um, what I want to talk about today, and this this one actually takes a little while, partially because I find this stuff so interesting, partially typically because you guys do, because most of you do a lot of drugs. So um, if you took 3506 and remember it completely, you don't have to come for the next week or so. (laughs) Because if you really did well... Uh, but this is basically going to be a miniature version of the neuropharmacology course that I teach, psychology slash biology thirty five hundred six, uh, which will be on next year. So if you're here next year and you want to take that, you know, it's good, it's fun. So there you are. This will be a little preview of that. Um, so again, if you've, took, if you've taken that course, most of these slides, until we get to the hormone stuff, you see these slides before. The uh, okay, this is again. So, here's a question. What is a drug? Yeah, I don't know.
1: <laughs> the
0: answer you all will often get is for questions like this is well, we all know what it means. And that's not really a very useful answer. Scientifically, it's not a very useful answer. We have to be able to measure, you know, predict control, that's what we do in science. And, Saying we all know what it means doesn't help anyone at all. Right? We need a definition. And I hate, by the way, I hate right now that I'm this guy. we let us to define our dues Because I hate when people say that to me. Well, what do you mean by democracy? Oh, God of hell. I don't want to talk to you. I just don't want to talk to you. Shut up. You know, I mean, it, oh. Usually that's an indication you should leave a conversation. See, like, literal face punk See this, like, and I did. Wasn't I? I just did that. One of my favorite ones that I've read in other books is it alters physiology, but it is not food. Not, you know, that seems reasonable. That's a, It's not a bad definition. It alters physiology, but it is not food. It's always weird when someone starts looking into the window. Look at that, this is as he stood there for like five seconds looking at him, was like, What? What is drugs? What? There's a class that should be taken. And then we all looked at him. That was great. It really, wasn't even I wasn't. That's was funny. Okay. That was fun. Okay. Is vitamin C a drug? And I don't mean, you know, friends forever, that, but... remember when? Remember when that woman was on that show? Maybe you don't. Superstar USA? Where it was like American Idol, but they pretended that the really shitty people were good. Did you ever see that? Yes. It was awesome. <laughs> now, they could only do it once. But they got down to the two worst possible singers. Oh, beautiful. And she was actually a bit of a celebrity-ish person. And she was one of the judges, and it was great. Because people that could sing and say, no, man, you were horrible. But then these two people that were awful, it was just wonderful. Because it's like the best part of those shows, right? Is like people that come on and go, yeah, I'm great, I'm awesome, and they, 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 they can't sing. And not the guys that are just sort of being pranked, but people that actually are trying, and they think they can sing, but their whole life is going to a karaoke bar on Friday night, hoping I'm, I'm, an agent's there. <laughs> anyway. Vitamin C is vitamin C a drug. We don't tend to think of vitamin C as a drug, or a singer now so but it alters physiology vitamins in general alter physiology in their food they're not food some things are also poisons but when in different amounts they're drugs like gasoline right if you huff gas or drink gas which is a real mistake believe me um, I don't even know what that meant uh, that's a poison but a little bit you get wasted right mugwort is an herb, <laughs> which is also a good one of the funnier herbs. And uh, mugwort will give you hallucinations. Yep. And enough mugwort, a little bit more, will abort a fetus. And it will abort fetus, so it's a homemade abortion.
1: But the difference between the amount that gives you abortion and the amount that kills you is so close to. That- <laughs>
0: probably should go professional events you want done. I don't want to have a discussion of an abortion. <laughs> but I'm saying that, that was a, a, something that needs to be done. So, but it'll also give you hallucinations. Huh, okay. Where'd my mouse go? Here. Maybe we don't need a definition. Which kind of sucks. It really bothers me. Uh, but I can't come up with an actual definition of what a drug is. into this is there are things we all agree are drugs but sometimes we take them not for their drug properties so maybe you're not taking it to treat anything or to get high so you're not doing it for the psychoactive part of it, I'm going to talk about psychoactive drugs obviously, you're not doing it for the effect it has on you, the the fun part you know, spoiler alert people take drugs because they're fun Um, or they're not taking it to treat anything so, and I don't mean cocaine having a coke you know, a bottle of Coke. Sometimes you just want to have a bottle. You're at McDonald's. And you get the meal, and they say, what do you want to drink? Coke. Are you doing that for the caffeine? <clears throat> maybe some people are. Maybe some people aren't. Right? Uh, a cup of coffee. How do you, we all, uh, many of us go out for a coffee? Let's get together and to have a coffee. Let's go for coffee. You want to go together and to have a coffee? You want to go for a coffee? Right? You don't say, would you like to go ingest some caffeine? Or maybe some of you do. <laughs> Michael Kendall was here before we he talks just like that. But <laughs> doing Michael Kendall bits now. We're just gonna, just of course, we're gonna make fun of Michael Kendall. Um He's a biologist if you don't know him, he's a good guy. It sounds like something's sad. Um But you go for coffee? You aren't necessarily trying to have the effect. Maybe you are in the morning often. You have the first cup of coffee, you've gotten withdrawal since you caffeine, you have that, you feel better. But, like, if right now I went for a coffee, it wouldn't be because I wanted to be awake. Right? I've got to be ready. <coughs> but then you a beer. Hear me out. I've heard you can have one beer. I've never tested this hypothesis. But it's apparently possible to have a beer. Right? I, I subscribe to the all or none law we're going to start drinking we're drinking that's why I, my wife will say you want wine with dinner well no I, I can't start drinking yet it's, you have one glass of wine oh no I can't have one glass of wine <laughs> who do you think I, we've met haven't we um, so I mean but people do have a beer They you ever mow the lawn and they just yeah it's great hot day outside, get, come inside, open beer, drink it, you don't go, oh good, I'm on my way to a (laughs) buzz. Maybe you do, maybe you do, but typically, you know, you're camping, you're camping, you love the camping, because I don't even drink water when I'm camping, just beer the whole time. Our fridge and our trailer, I'm pretty sure it's calibrated for beer, I'm not going to put food in it, because I think that could wreck it. (laughs) But even having a beer, even that, that now and then we'll have a beer or a glass of wine. Right? right? So you're not doing that really for the effect of the alcohol. It may be a social thing. A lot of times people go for a beer. You don't hear people say, yeah, well, I just do heroin, you know, just for the social aspects. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's unfortunate that an intuitive definition is going to have to suit us. It's a shame because I hate intuitive definitions, uh, but that's, what's gonna, that's what we're going to use. Unless, does anybody have a definition? Damn. Okay, I always hope.
1: Something
0: that has an effect on the body? Yeah, so does air. <laughs> no, no, I've, heard, I've believe me, I've thought of a lot of these things. That's not bad. But that's like alter's physiology, but it's not food. It's not bad. Um, but would
1: you actually consider like, vitamins and minerals? No, I don't think we would. That's the thing. Right, like, most people, when they think of a drug, they think of, like, pharmaceuticals or...?
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. And intuitively, our definition, while intuitive definitions suck, it, it should be the case that any definition we come up with kind of matches our intuitive definition. Right? It should hang together. And okay. none of us, I think, in here, would we call vitamins. We would call them drugs. I just don't think we would. Um,
1: so yeah, exactly. It. Well, stimulant.
0: Well, I and mean, a stimulant is a kind of a drug. Yeah. But you can say something that maybe stimulates you.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah but so does music. Yeah. And music isn't a drug. You know. That's a drug. <laughs> I mean, so there's so many things. And it's like, soda's just talking. That's just brain chemistry. So it's so hard to come up with a definition. It's a shame because I really wish we could have one because I hate things that don't have definitions. I have a lot of hatred in me, and it's mostly for undefinable terms. <laughs> Again, I, I don't know. Look, I've been out of this for a week. Let me break. They can't all be gems. Um, okay, but... So who cares? We, don't, we have a definition. It sucks, but we don't have it. Um, and part of the reason I mention that, you might say, what do you do next? Fill in space? Well, partly. But also, um, the idea that... It's to partly get at the sort of social angle of this thing. Sometimes we call things drugs, and sometimes we don't. And a lot of times it's based on things we think are bad for us, or things we think that treat something. And a lot of times we take things for non-pharmacological reasons, like having a Coke, or a cup of coffee, or even a beer. Um, And... Are they drugs then or not? So that's why I wanted to bring that up. All right, names of drugs. Uh, There are chemical names for drugs. Uh, Those of you taking a lot of chemistry, some chemistry might recognize 7-chloro-1-3-dihydro-1-methyl-5-phenol-2H1-4-benzodiazepine-2-1. As you can see, there it is. I'm sure you all were imagining that molecule right there.
1: Yeah,
0: that didn't help me much either. Um, I'm not an organic chemist. I never took organic chemistry. You know why? Because it's for suckers. Um, some of you in the room are biology students and they're saying, yes, it is. Never want to take orgo. It never appealed to me. Now, there's a generic name, and that's called diazepam. This thing here has a name. We call it diazepam. Drugs have generic names. Uh, here's another generic name, fluoxetine. That's not the same thing. That's not 7 chloro, yada, yada, yada. That's a whole other guy. Then they have trade names which have capitals, and that diazepam is Valium. Flaxetine is Prozac. Okay? If you for your paper, if you're doing anything on anything with drugs, very rarely will you see something using the trade name. They'll be using the generic name. You can tell trade names they have, excuse me, they have capital letters which should tell you something. Heroin is always spelled with a capital. You know why? Because heroin is a trade name. Heroin was developed by Bayer, the same people that developed aspirin. So typically, you'll talk about something. You'll say diazepam, you won't say valium. Okay? I don't know why that happened. Okay, dosages of drugs... Different dosage sizes will have different effects on different people and different animals. Right? Especially if they weigh different amounts. So, within species, if you weigh more, right, um, you'll need more of the drug to have the same effect. And this doesn't really matter what the drug is, but it's very, it's very common, right? So, what we have to do is we have to standardize. The way we measure dosage. We can't just say, because for example, um, you know, for a headache, like if I have a headache, I, I, I take three extra strength Tylenol, so 1,500 milligrams of acetaminophen. Uh, and I don't think, I think for some of you that would be too much. Right? I'm drunk right now, and I don't seem it, though legally I am because I had seven beers during stats. it doesn't affect me. But if you did, you know. So basically, I, I didn't drink during I, I took a little ecstasy. Um, just a little. Again, I'm kidding. It would be unprofessional of me to admit it. Um, so we have to standardize our dosages. So we use, typically, you'll, there's a couple things you'll see. You use milligrams per kilogram. So it's milligrams of drug per kilogram of animal. That's a pretty common way to, to, to report such a thing. So if you're been reading a paper, you'll hear milligrams per kilogram. Um, you also might hear um, uh, this done with um, millimoles per kilogram. So using moles instead of grams. Okay. And you say When they talk about alcohol, they always talk about blood alcohol level, which is a percentage of alcohol in your bloodstream. Actually, but that is completely, it's just a mathematical transformation of milligrams per kilogram of alcohol. So it's really easy to do the transformation. Okay. The way we look at this is, when we look at drug effects, is we look at what we call dose-response curves. We have some variable for a response. Now... So it's something behavioral. Almost always something behavioral. And then we have a dose. The response is going to be on the y-axis and the dose will be on the x-axis. And I don't know. They also call what the abscissa in the ordinate. I don't know. That seems like the pretentious way to say x and like y. Ooh, abscissa. So we're going to plot response as a function, of dose. So... If you were to draw one drink and I'm relaxed, if I have like one martini, I feel a little relaxed. That's great. Four martinis and I get a little, get a little silly. Right? Alcohol is a funny drug because alcohol, um, there's a lot of ways alcohol is a drug, but one of the ways that alcohol is interesting is that. Uh, while it isn't depressing, it makes you do things. Right? And why does that happen? Well, it inhibits inhibition. Right? You have normal inhibitions. Like, your nervous system, all kinds of reactions you could have, you don't have. It. Right? It's like when you walk into a bar and you haven't been drinking, and you bump into a guy, the first thing he says, oh, sorry, man. As a
1: feather I wanted to congratulate you in the fastest
0: Thank you very much. <laughs> What, what, what movie are you watching? What is it? You, Your phone congratulated you. Did you name
1: something? I guess maybe. What is it? What did
0: Oh, she's disappointed. I thought she was scared or
1: something.
0: Well, i too. a little scared. Okay, good, good. I like to cultivate that. Um... That was the weirdest thing. It was like this disembodied voice telling us, congratulations. Congratulations, you've made it this far into my game of neuroscience. <laughs> um, but you have normal inhibitions, right? Okay. So when you bump into somebody at in a bar, you haven't been drinking, no problem. After a few drinks, you bump into them and you're like, what's wrong? Do you want to go? Come at me, bro. Come on. <laughs> You normally wouldn't do that. That stuff comes to mind and goes away, right? You bump into some normal and you think, son of a, oh, what's wrong with you? The guy bumped into you. But when you've been drinking, those inhibitions get inhibited. This is why people make stupid decisions. Things like, well, I figured now I think I'll take my wedding ring off and go look at some ladies. Things like <laughs> that. It's like, what? What? What's wrong with you? So after four drinks, I'm tipsy, get a little silly. You could measure all kinds of different things. You could measure how loud I was talking. That's a great measure of uh, how drunk someone is actually, because the louder people are the more they've been drinking no, that's true, It's data on that, and also their voices goes a little bit, the pitch goes higher. right I have not been drinking you know that day, you used to say to your mom when you were 16, no, I just got home, I am fine <laughs> and I it perfectly <laughs> and by the way, your mom knew parents aren't stupid and then, yeah, I've had eight drinks, and I'm relaxed again. In other words, I'm passed out.
1: No, <laughs> oh, seriously, right?
0: So this is actually a very common shape in a do- dose-response group. This is this idea you get very little response at the beginning. At some medium level, you get a lot of response, and at a high level, you get no response. Now, you might be getting no response because you have killed the animal, um, but even at less than lethal doses, you will get... Uh, and when we talk about all the drugs that we're going to talk about in the next few days, you'll see this, that it's very common that at small doses you will get an effect. At medium doses where you get the really serious effect. At large doses, you've either kind of blown the system out or you've gone back to something basically looks like you've hardly had any drug in the animal because it's not responding hardly at all. And on that note, uh, somewhat depressing note perhaps, Uh, we'll continue talking about this stuff on Thursday. Thanks, guys.